If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, turn with me to John chapter 11. If you didn't bring your Bible, that's fine. You can turn it on. I know a lot of you do that with your phones, and that's all right as well. There's a a pew Bible in front of you. We're going to be in John chapter 11. We're going to pick up where we left off last Sunday. You remember last Sunday, there were two sisters by the name of what? Mary and Martha. That's right. And they had a brother named Lazarus who was deathly ill. So they send letter, they send a word, we don't have a letter, they send word to Jesus that their brother is sick. And so where we're going to pick up this morning is verse 17 in chapter 11, and we're going to see Jesus is actually going to arrive in Bethany. Let's look at the first few verses there, beginning in verse 17. It says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So by the time that Jesus arrives in Bethany, how many days have passed? Let's see if you're listening. Four, right? So the, the, the reason that John tells us four days has passed, that he's not just throwing a number in there. By the time that four days have passed, we know that there's no mistake that Lazarus is really dead, right? He's not just asleep, but he's actually been dead so long that if you go ahead to verse 39, it says that his body had began, begun to decompose. The four days is also significant because this would have allowed enough time for mourners to gather at the home of Mary and Martha. And we know that just as we talked about last week, in every situation of our life, in every circumstance that we go through, that there's always two perspectives of what's happening. There's the earthly, that temporary perspective that you and I can see. It's just right here in front of us. But then if we dig deeper, we know that there's also an eternal perspective, that God is always working, that he's always moving, sometimes in ways that we can't understand because he paints on this broad canvas and our eyes can only see what is in front of us. So from the human perspective here, the mourners, many of which, by the way, they would have been paid to come and mourn, they were there to do what? to comfort Mary and Martha in their loss. That's what they can see. But I think that if you look a little bit deeper, that what you can see is from God's perspective, the mourners, they were actually there to witness an undeniable miracle that was about to take place. See, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, there are numerous others who will witness this miracle, not just the two sisters, Many of the people who, in fact, will witness this miracle of a dead man being raised back to life, they were hostile to Jesus. They resisted Jesus. And as a result of what they are about to witness, even Jesus' enemies would not be able to deny what is about to take place. Let's keep reading. Pick up in verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So evidently, Martha had been made aware that Jesus was a few miles away from their house. 
So she gets up and she leaves Mary seated in the home and she goes and she goes outside the city about two miles to go and meet up with Jesus. It's interesting here to see the the personalities of Mary and Martha. They kind of go along with what we've read about them in other gospels, haven't they? That Mary's doing what? She's seated at home, being with the mourners, fellowshipping with them. But Martha, she's busy, right? I got to do something. I got, how many of you are Martha, by the way? Go ahead and raise your hand. It's good. Confession's good for the soul. I'll raise my hand. How many of you are Mary? Nice. Marys make good friends, don't they? So Mary and Martha, they have different reactions to what's going on. Martha, she had a plan. Her plan was, I'm going to call for Jesus. Jesus is going to come because I know that Jesus can heal me. And so if I can just get Jesus, I mean, Jesus can heal Lazarus. I just need him to come. But what happens? Jesus does not arrive in time. Lord, she says, if you had been here, what? My brother would not have died. Let's make sure we read what she's saying here in context. See, even as as Martha is expressing her disappointment in the fact that Jesus didn't come when she wanted him to, she's still expressing great faith in Jesus, isn't she? She knew that beyond a shadow of a doubt that if Jesus would have been there, if he had just gotten there before he died, then she could have, he could have prevented Lazarus from dying. But here he is. And on her human earthly timetable, Jesus, you're four days too late. Nevertheless, she still expresses great faith. Verse 22 But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. It's almost as if she's saying, Lord, I don't know what you can do now. But here's what I do know. Whatever you want to do, whatever you choose to do, you can do it. What a great example for the rest of us, right? You ever felt that way? Lord, you're late. Lord, where were you when I really needed you? Lord, where were you when my loved one died? Lord, where were you when I lost my job? Lord, where were you when my marriage was falling apart? Lord, where were you when I was in the hospital and I had that miscarriage? I want you to notice here. Jesus does not rebuke Martha for her words. Jesus doesn't come before Martha and say, How dare you speak to me with such honesty? How dare you question my timing in coming to you? You don't read that, do you? Friends, it's not sinful to be honest with God and tell him how you feel. I don't know how many of you, like me, were raised in church and we were taught, you should never question. You should never have any doubts. You should just trust that God is going to get everything done. But you never bring any questions. You never bring your concerns. In your prayers, you fake it. You don't bring your honest questions, your honest concerns, your honest feelings before God. Now let me qualify this by saying, we should always be reverent before God. We should always remember who He is in comparison to who we are. He is the Creator. We are His creation. But that does not mean that we are not allowed to express our honest and feelings and honest and true feelings before the Lord. It also doesn't mean our feelings are also always true, does it? But they are our feelings. And God wants us to bring these emotions before him and not keep them bottled up inside. 
Friend, someone needs to hear this today. That is that God is more patient. And God is willing to walk with you longer than many of you realize. This thought that good Christians never bring their concerns before God, that good Christians would never bring their fears or their questions before God. Friends, it's simply not true. God wants us to pour our hearts out before him. He didn't rebuke David when he questioned. He didn't rebuke Moses when he questioned. He doesn't rebuke Martha when she brings her honest questions before him. In fact, notice Jesus' response to Martha's confession in verse 23. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And then Martha replies in verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. It's as if Martha says, I know, of course, but Jesus, what about right now? Can you not see that today, right here in this moment, I'm hurting, and what, is, what are you going to do about it right now? Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And here we have the fifth I am statement from Jesus in the book of John. The I am statement, the purpose of it goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. When Moses stands before God in the burning bush and, and God tells Moses to go back to Pharaoh and tell him to what? Let my people go. And, and Moses said, but who should I tell them is sending me? And God says, tell them I am is sending you. So the fact here that Jesus on seven different occasions in the book of John refers to himself as I am, he is unmistakably revealing his true identity that he is God. Yes, Jesus will eventually raise the dead in the future resurrection. That's what Martha is referring back to in verse 24. But what Martha doesn't realize yet is that Jesus is about to raise her brother back right now. And notice what Jesus says in verse 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He doesn't say, I can resurrect people. Jesus doesn't say, I have life. No, no, no. He says, I am resurrection. I am life. Church, understand that our ultimate hope in the end is not that he will resurrect our dead bodies, which he will. Our ultimate hope is not in the end that we will find life in Jesus, which we will. Our ultimate hope is in a person, and the person's name is Jesus Christ. And because he is resurrection, because he is life, then we can trust him that he will do what he says he will do. But make sure that your hope, that your trust, is in a person, not simply in what he provides. Because right here in this moment, Jesus is diverting Martha's focus. And she's got this focus on some abstract belief in what will take place on the last day. That's what she's referring to. She had read about the resurrection. She had heard about the resurrection in the Old Testament. And he's diverting her attention from some abstract what will happen one day. And now he wants her to believe in a personalized belief that he alone can provide resurrection. 
Just as Jesus not only gives bread from heaven in John chapter 6 when he provides the miracle of the feeding of 5,000, he says, not only do I provide the bread from heaven, but I am the bread of life. Right here in John chapter 11, he's once again not only saying that he will raise the dead on the last day, but he is resurrection. He is life. He's making a very distinct point here. And that is that there is neither resurrection nor eternal life outside of him. Now, some people read that and say, that's pretty exclusive. You're right. He says there's not just uh, one of many ways. He says, but the only way you're going to be resurrected from the dead, the only way you're going to have life, the only way that you're going to experience eternal life with me is to trust Jesus as our Savior. There is only one hope for resurrection. There's only one hope for life, and that is found through Jesus himself. Then notice how Martha responds to this very direct question that Jesus asked her. Look at the question. He says, do you believe this. Now understand, he's not asking, Martha, do you believe that that I will raise your brother back from the dead? No, it's much deeper than that. He's saying, Martha, do you believe that I am alone am the source of resurrection power? That I alone have the eternal life that I can offer? And look at her beautiful response in verse 27. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. In that one response, that one verse, Martha makes three declarations about Jesus. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And then she goes on, she goes, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you're not just a prophet, but you're actually the Son of God. And then she says, I believe that you are sent from God. That's what separates God. That's what separates Jesus from every other teacher, from every other prophet, that he is sent from God. Now remember, church, she's still grieving from the loss of her brother. She's still questioning why did Jesus show up four days too late in her mind. I imagine she's frustrated Because she believed if you had just been here, I wouldn't be going through this turmoil. I wouldn't be going through this grief. I believe that you had the power, and I'm still confused why you didn't come. But even in the midst of her grief, even in the midst of her confusion, even in the midst of her loss, she continues to hold firm to what she knows to be true, that Jesus is who he says he is. Her circumstances cause her to question, I don't know how this is happening, I don't know why this is happening, but she does not allow the circumstances to dictate what she knows to be true, and she does not question who Jesus is. I think Martha provides a pretty good template for how we should go through our times of grief, how we should go through our times of questions, our times of loss, that we would come before the Lord with honest questions, understanding we may never receive the answers to those questions on this side of eternity, that we should be, um, express our confusion before the Lord all the while reaffirming what we know to be true. 
And that is that he is still God even when life doesn't make sense. Verses 28 through 31. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he's calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. So while Martha is meeting with Jesus, Mary remains seated in the house with the mourners. Now, she's probably comforting the mourners that are there, but then Martha, she rushes back home and she says, Mary, Jesus is here. He's a few miles out and he wants to see you. So Mary, it says she wants to discreetly, she wants to quietly kind of sneak out and go find Jesus, but that doesn't happen, right? As she leaves, the mourners begin to follow her. Remember, that, that's their job. Many of them were paid to go and to comfort because they think that Mary is going to the tomb to see Jesus, right? I mean, to, to, to mourn for what's about to take place. That's what's happening on, on the human perspective, that Mary is going to weep and the, the crowd just happens to follow her. But from God's eternal perspective, I think that God was orchestrating the circumstances to ensure that Jesus' miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead would be witnessed by the entire group and all of the mourners would be there when it happens. So Mary meets up with Jesus. And Mary repeats almost the exact same phrase, the exact same sentiment that Martha does, doesn't she? Verse 32 now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In church, in the next few verses, I believe we see one of the most incredible and the deepest truths in all of Scripture. I want you to watch closely to how the bread of life the resurrection and the life, the Son of God, watch how he responds to Mary's grief. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The phrase there, deeply moved, it implies that the Lord let out an involuntary gasp, as if the wind just went out of him. You've been there before, haven't you? The Lord, he was so caught up in Mary and Martha's emotions that he involuntarily gasped. His whole body shuddered. He felt sorrow with everything within him. And not only was he deeply moved, but John tells us that he's also what? Greatly troubled. See, Mary and Martha's sorrow, it was heavy, even for Jesus. Verse 34, And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, but so much truth packed into those two simple words. 
Jesus wept. That word wept here does not mean that he wailed. That's what the mourners were doing. It means that tears began to stream down Jesus' face as he felt the emotion from Mary and Martha. The fact that Jesus wept, it emphasizes that God himself has taken on the form of our humanity in Jesus. It also fulfilled a passage of Scripture, a prophecy written 700 years before the Messiah, that the Messiah would be a man of sorrows and what? Acquainted with grief. Friends, we serve a great and loving Heavenly Father. And sometimes that Heavenly Father delays. Sometimes he allows us to experience long times of grief and suffering. Sometimes he causes us to wonder where he is. But don't miss this. Even in the midst of our sorrow, even in the midst of our confusion, he comes and he enters into our sorrow. See, at this moment, Jesus does not weep because he lacked faith. No, Jesus weeps because he is full of love And that is what love does. It weeps with those who weep. At this moment, he enters into Mary and Martha's sorrow, but don't forget, he could have prevented if he had chosen to. And he enters into their sorrow in such a way that he gasps and he begins to weep. Church, this is the perspective of Jesus I wish that we, as as, as followers of Jesus, would display more often. That if you're hurting, that Jesus wants you to know that he weeps with you. That we serve a Savior who's not indifferent, he's not passive. He enters into your sorrow. Now here's the incredible thing. You and I know how this story ends, don't we? We know that their suffering is about to be relieved in just a moment. In just a matter of a a few sentences, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus back from the dead. Why is he weeping? But before Jesus fixes Mary and Martha's problem, what does he do first? He joins their pain. Before Jesus relieves their pain, he first comes and enters into their grief. See, Lazarus' death will be overcome. He's only going to be dead for a few more moments. That doesn't mean that his death won't be mourned. Same is true for every person in this room that's a follower of Jesus. That we mourn for those who die, even though if they are in Christ and we know the resurrection has happened, we mourn because we know their death has been overcome because of the cross, that their death is not the end, but we still feel this sorrow in our heart because of the separation that leaves us behind. And Jesus' death, which happens just a few days after he raises Lazarus back from the dead, His death, too, will be defeated, but understand it will not come without excruciating pain. In fact, the next moment of Scripture where we hear that Jesus cries out, he's not crying out to his brothers and sisters. He'll be crying out to his God, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, church, once Lazarus has been raised from the dead, Jesus gets back on that Calvary road, but this time he's going to have a final showdown with sin and death. And listen to me, friends. 
We can learn so much by how Jesus responds to these two women who are entering a season of grief, even though it's brief. See, we shouldn't be afraid to enter into other people's pain. If we're being honest, sometimes when we know someone is hurting, we know that they're, they're going through a time of suffering, we, won't, we don't want to speak to them because we're afraid. What if we don't have the right words? What if my words bring more confusion? What if it brings more pain? What, what, what if I do something wrong? And so instead of running towards them, what do we do? We run away from them because we're afraid it might be awkward. It might be uncomfortable. All the while they are left to sit in their grief and in their sorrow alone. Listen to me, church. As followers of Jesus, we need to learn how to practice the ministry of presence, the ministry of just being there with people in their midst of pain, in their midst of suffering. See, we don't have to fix people's brokenness. We can't fix their brokenness. But we can follow the example of Jesus. We can sit with them. We can listen to them. And yes, we can even weep with them. With broken hearts, may we learn, may God give us a heart that desires to run towards broken people and just be with them and pray with them while they're suffering. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God who's big enough to handle our questions? Aren't you thankful that we serve a God who's not intimidated by your fears, not intimidated by the, the, the doubts or even the frustrations that you have? But we serve a God who is patient with us. And he promises never to leave us even when you're shaking your fist at him. But instead, we serve a God who comes alongside you and he enters into our time of grief and suffering, and he promises to walk with you to the very end when we will be with him face to face. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not a God who is indifferent or passive but that you are a God who comes into the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our pain, and you not only walk with us, but you weep with us. Lord, thank you that you don't leave us alone in our times of suffering. Thank you most of all that we know that sorrow may last for a night, but your promise is that joy will come in the morning. Lord, we admit that we don't understand certain things. We, we question, we wonder, we have concerns and fears, but we still hold on to what we know to be true, and that, that is you are a good God, that you love us, and that somehow beyond what our minds can comprehend, you will work all things together for your good and for your purpose. 
But help us as we live in that in-between. As we long for the time that what we see dimly will be made clear. And may we be found faithful to trust you. Lord, I pray that if there's someone in this room today that has never trusted you as their Lord and Savior, that today they would cry out to you to forgive them of their sins and they would find a Savior who is waiting and ready to welcome them into your family, to grant them eternal life that isn't gained by anything we do, but by accepting the free gift of salvation. And Lord, may we be a church that runs towards the hurting. May we be a church that doesn't just proclaim truth, but we stand for truth, but we have that arm ready to wrap around those who are hurting. That our hearts are never so hardened because we know truth that they're not softened by the compassion that you have for every one of your creation. Mold us into your image so that day by day we would look more like your son Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.